Well, good morning again. Take your Bibles, please. Let's go to the book of Mark. Mark and chapter 8, and we're going to read the first 10 verses. Right before the Lord Jesus went back home to his Father in glory, he sat down with his disciples on a beach, and he had breakfast with them. And looking across the fire, one man in particular, one who had betrayed him and denied him three times, he looked and he asked him, Peter, do you know, do you love me? Sorry. And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I I like you a lot. That's what the word means. And he asked him again, and he asked him a third time, each time asking Peter, and Peter got a little more upset each time. And every time he responded, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I like you a lot was the word. He said, feed my sheep, or tend my little lambs, and feed my older sheep. And what he was doing was, he was encouraging and he was commissioning Peter back into service, again, to go out with the disciples, and he was to plant churches, and he was to preach the gospel. He was to go out, and he was to feed the sheep of the Lord, look after them. And what he's talking about, clearly, is to give them the spiritual food necessary in order for them to live and to grow as believers in Jesus Christ. He was to give the life-giving gospel message of Jesus Christ, the message that Jesus Christ died and rose again to pay the penalty for sin, And all who believe in him will be reconciled to God. He was to go out and proclaim that message, to preach the gospel, to feed the sheep of the Lord. Well, that's our role while we are here on this earth. We are here to be making disciples and feeding them. Well, the question comes up, obviously, how is it that we are to feed the sheep? What's our motive? What are the means which Jesus expects us to use? What are his methods that we are to use in feeding the sheep? And when we feed the sheep in the way that he desires us to, the result is that they go away both satisfied and blessed and full. So I want to set before you this morning from the passage, 8 and verse 10, the first 10 verses there, uh, three essential truths. All sermons, in case you know, are sort of Trinitarian in nature. They all got to have three points. I don't know why, who made that rule up, but three, three points there are and three points we have today. It's like this. Number one, Jesus' motive for ministry is compassion. Second point there is Jesus' means for ministry is his gifts to us. And thirdly, Jesus' method for ministry is working through us. Thanks. So let's read together. Mark chapter 8 and the first 10 verses. It says, In those days, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry, sorry, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve to them, and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. 
And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha. Let's again ask for God's blessing, shall we? Father, this morning we ask you again that as we would open the scriptures together, Father, we pray that the spirit of truth would teach us and lead us into all truth. Father, we pray that you would have free reign to speak to the heart of every single person in this room, including mine, Lord. We wish to be challenged and encouraged and built up and strengthened in our faith that we might carry on doing the things that you have called us to do, that we would finish the work that you have left us here to do on this earth. Father, we look forward to, with great anticipation, the day when Jesus will return. And Father, as we look around the world and we see the things going on, we are convinced, O God, that that day is closer and closer and closer to us. Father, we pray that you would come, you would send Jesus again to take us back to be with himself. Father, we ask you these things, and we give you thanks this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus' motive for ministry is compassion. He felt compassion for the people who had been with him. Notice in verse 3 of chapter 8, he says, "Um, I feel, he called his disciples to them, and he said, I feel compassion, verse 2, sorry, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and they have nothing to eat. He had compassion for the crowd. And Jesus had genuine compassion. You've got to remember, as John was reminding us a few minutes ago, that he is the perfect man and he is the perfect God. He is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He is the brightness of God's glory. He is the exact representation of God's nature. He is the image of the invisible God. He is fully God. And as he stands there before him, his essence as God is completely unchanged. His abilities and his attributes are unchanged. Now his glory is veiled for a time while he is walking on this earth. But Jesus is fully God standing before them. He's also fully man, fully and completely. He is fully and perfectly man. He had the human flesh and blood that all men have. He felt pain and hunger and tiredness and sorrow and grief and astonishment. All the emotional qualities that all men feel, Jesus felt with the exception of two things. Number one, he never felt sorrow for his own sin because he never committed sin. And he never felt sorrow and the need to ask forgiveness and seek forgiveness for sin because he never committed any. But in every other way, every other emotional quality that we as human beings feel, Jesus felt. He understood it. So Jesus is there with these people. They've been there for three days. And he says he felt compassion. He knew what it was to feel hunger and pain and so on. The Bible says in Hebrews 2 that he had to be made like his brothers in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. And again, he says, since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. What does that mean for them? As they were there and they've been with him and probably listening to what he's saying to them, The Bible records the same story, and I think it's Matthew 15. And there it says that he healed them. He worked and he healed all the sicknesses of this crowd that was before him. But they're there. They're listening to what he's saying. They're being healed by him. And they've been there for three days, and they're hungry. And Jesus feels compassion for them. He knew what it was to fast. He did a 40-day fast in the desert with no food and no water, apparently, and it was just what he says. He did have no food, no water, and he knew what it was to be hungry. 
And it was increasingly difficult for them, he would know, by the third day in. That's one of the most difficult days in a fast, they say. The third day in, when he's getting really hungry, and he's watching them, and he has compassion for them. The word for compassion means to be deeply affected in one's inner being. He had great sympathy. He felt a deep sense of pity for them. And this wasn't something that was new for Jesus. The Bible tells us in Matthew 14 that Jesus came ashore with his disciples. And seeing the people, he felt compassion for them and he acted. He healed their sick. In Matthew 20, the Bible says that Jesus moved with compassion by two blind men. He touched their eyes and he healed them. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus felt compassion for a leper and his horrible condition. And he did the unthinkable. He stretched out his hand and he touched that leprous man. And the Bible says he cleansed him of his leprosy. And here in Mark 6, no, back back a couple pages. In Mark 6, Jesus felt compassion for the people who were like a sheep without shepherd. And he taught them. Jesus' compassion was something that he acted on frequently. He felt compassion for his people. Here, in this passage here, he feels compassion, and now he invites the disciples to join with him in his ministry and feeding and providing for their needs. Listen, loving people, which is what we have been called to do as the church of Jesus Christ, is about having a compassion for them. Jesus had a compassion for the lost. I was reading again the book of Nehemiah a few weeks ago, and I was struck again by the fact that he prayed. But right before it says he prayed, it says this, he heard the news about the broken down wall in Jerusalem, and the Bible says he sat down and he wept and he mourned and he prayed and he fasted for many days. He wept. His heart was broken at the news of the broken down wall. And you say, Nehemiah, come on, man, it's just a broken down wall. You get over there, you get some stones, some mortar, mix it all up and start piling up again. You rebuild the wall. It's not a big deal. But to Nehemiah, the testimony of God's name was in disrepute and it caused him to be broken hearted and to weep over what was going on. His first response was not to run off in every direction, organizing stone and mortar and bricks and all those other things to build the wall. His first reaction before the living God was to sit down and to weep and to mourn and fast before the living God. He was brokenhearted over the condition of the name of the people, the name of God amongst his people. Let me ask you a question. Probably the obvious question you can think of is, when was the last time you and I wept over the condition of the people of God in this country, or in this state, or in this city, or maybe even in this neighborhood? As I was preparing the message and working through it and praying over the text and and seeking what God would have me to lay before us, the thing that hit me the most was how much compassion do I have for the lost? How much compassion do I have for the people of God to the point where I sit down and weep before the Lord when I consider the condition of the people of God, the way in which we are walking and living and worshiping? Is it pleasing to the Lord? Is my life pleasing to the Lord? Do I weep over the state of my own heart? Do I weep over the state of my heart of my kids, my family, my church, this community, the one where I live? The Bible says that Jesus felt compassion for these people. Nehemiah felt compassion. He was brokenhearted. The motive for ministry for us must be a brokenhearted compassion to see God's name proclaimed and held up on high to see the people of God living and walking in victory and in faith and in joy, enjoying the Lord together. 
When was the last time you wept over the house of God? Wept over the state of the people of God. Wept over the condition of the souls of men in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your school, in in this area. And I'll confess, it's been a long time since I wept over the state of the people of God. I have at times in my ministry, even as in this church, wept over certain things that have gone on, things that have happened. And you know, the reality is God can make us weak. He can bring us that point of compassion when we break and re-render the garments of our heart, if you like, in broken-hearted compassion for what's going on in the church. You look at what's happening in the church in the larger Western world, it's so sad. It's shocking sometimes. We ought to be a people who are weeping. I ought to be a person, a man who weeps before the Lord over the state of the souls of men in this area and around the world. And Jesus looked at these people, and they were hungry, and he had a heart of compassion for them. He wept over them. If you're here this morning and you're hurting, and some of you are, And you're struggling. Maybe there's physical pain. Maybe it's emotional pain. Maybe it's heartache you feel. Listen, I want to tell you something this morning. That Jesus cares. He is not an aloof, white, ivory tower king and high priest. Completely removed and separate from his people. Unable to feel the heartache and the heartbreak of the moms and the dads and the kids among his people. He cares. He feels. Jesus knows what it means to be poor and cold and hungry and tired and weary. My cry to you this morning is to come to Jesus. You will not find somebody who will turn you away and and push you away. You will find somebody who will draw you close and put his arm around you and comfort you and encourage your heart in the things of God. If you're here this morning and you've never met Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something. That Jesus Christ has compassion for you. He has a compassion for those who are perishing. He's like a father in a sense that warns and warns and warns his child. He promises punishment for continual disobedience, and he keeps to remind that child, if you carry on this road, I will have to bring punishment. I will have to bring justice. That father knows if there's no repentance, if he knows if there's no seeking of forgiveness, then he will have to bring judgment and discipline to his child. But as long as Jesus delays... As long as he holds back, there is still time to cry out to God for forgiveness of sin, to be brought into a relationship with him. Listen, whatever problem you might have, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, your biggest issue is not the thing you think it is. Your biggest issue is whether or not you have a relationship with the living God. When this axis, the vertical axis between you and God is set right, everything else works itself out from there. It's a cross-shaped thing. When, what, when our hearts are right with God, then our relationships will be right with each other. And God is calling you to come, seek forgiveness, find forgiveness with him, seek forgiveness for sin, and know what it is to have a right relationship with God based in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second point is this. The first point to sum up is Jesus' motive in feeding his sheep is his compassion for them. The second one is this. Jesus' means for ministry are his gifts to us i tell you a story. Maybe the kids, if they can, their hearing can listen. Don't you imagine a neighborhood much like ours, and there's a large, empty lot on the corner of maybe two streets, a big building place. And one day, there's a, and that, that 
netting fence they put up when they're going to build a new place goes up around there and a big truck rolls up one day and all these great big uh, granite stones are rolled off the back of the truck and they hit the ground and the great big boulders and they're, they're huge they take machines to move them around and the, the, the chain link fence put back and a couple days later a truck rolls up and a master stonemason gets out of that truck and he walks over the site and he begins to work First, he drills holes in the stone. Then he uses uh, wedges and pins to split the rock into pieces. And they break them down into smaller and smaller pieces. And every day he comes and he works. And he's a master craftsman. He knows exactly what he's doing with those stones. And every day, a little boy comes along to the job site. And he's about this tall, you know. And he puts him up against the chain link fence. His little hands there. And he's just watching through. And he's just watching this man. He's absolutely fascinated by the stonemason. As he chips and hammers away. And the stones get slowly cut down into beautiful square blocks of granite. And he begins to assemble them around the building site. Building the wall of what will become a large building. A large house. And the little boy is just fascinated. And the, the master craftsman looks over the little boy one day. And he said, would you like to help me? And the little boy is, yeah, okay. So the crossman opens the gate and the little boy comes in. He said, well, you pick up that stone over there and you put it up on the stonemason's bench. It's big, heavy timber bench. So it can take the pounding of the hammers. And the little boy looks at the stone. He looks up at the big man and he puts his hand around the rock. And he, he can't lift it. It weighs probably three times what he does. So the stonemason comes over and he puts his hands around and his arms around the little boy and he picks up the stone. The two of them, two of them, pick up the stone, they put it on the bench. The stonemason says, well, here's a chisel and here's a hammer. How about you go away and you hammer on the stones and you make them all square? And the little boy puts his hand around the chisel and he can't even lift the chisel off the bench. It's one of these big, heavy steel chisels with a carbide edge. And the stonemason's watching and he says, and the little boy says, will you help me? The little stonemason picks up the stone hammer and the chisel and he puts his hands around the little boy's hands and the two of them begin to work as they chip away at that stone. And all day long they worked together, hand in glove, this little boy and the old man, the master craftsman. And finally they finished off one beautiful piece of stone and they set it in place together. The little boy with his hands inside the master craftsman's hands. And the little boy goes home and his parents say, what did you do all day? Where, where have you been? He said, well, I was down at the building site and I was building the building down there. And the parents will look at him, no, you weren't. Yeah, I was, I was. I was helping the master craftsman build a stone building. And you know what? That story is exactly like Jesus and us. He builds his church. He is using his people to build his church. Notice what Jesus does in eight, the first three verses there. It says, um, he calls his disciples in, chapter, in verse 1. Jesus called his disciples and he said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he's asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and so on. What's he doing? Why does Jesus go to those disciples and say, Look, all these people, I have passion for them. They have nothing to eat. And what he's doing is he is calling and inviting them to be a part of his ministry. He wants to see how they will react. He wants to see if they have the compassion for the loss that they need. He wants to see if they will speak up. Do you think he doesn't know? That they have seven loaves in one of my more um, 
whimsical moment sitting in my office. You know, just thinking about the disciples and like little kids, you know. And there's a great big crowd of people, 4,000 people on the plane. And Jesus is talking to them and healing their sick. And he begins to become concerned over their hunger. And he sees the disciples over there. And they're all in a little circle huddled together with their backs. And they're looking over at Jesus. And they're in their circle and they're counting how many loaves do we have. Because there's not enough food for anybody. And Jesus comes over and talks to them. And I can almost see them doing this. Putting their loaves of bread behind their back, you know. Where's anybody going to find enough bread? And Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? What he's doing is he is inviting and he's calling them to to put forward what they've got that he might use it to feed the crowds. But what do they do? Notice what their eyes are focused on. His disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough bread in this desolate place to satisfy these people? Their eyes are focused on the desolate place, the amount of bread that someone, anyone needed to supply. More than just feeding enough people, feeding these people, they're thinking about enough to satisfy. They need more than just maybe one loaf each, maybe two or three or four loaves each, depending on how much they ate. And they had a few little fish with them and all that. And all they were doing was they were allowing the circumstances that were surrounding them to blind them to God's infinite power and ability. They'd seen Jesus, hadn't they? In Mark, we've seen how they've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him healing thousands of sick. They've seen him cleansing lepers. They'd seen him calming storms twice. And just a few pages ago, they had seen him feeding twenty to 25,000 people with a few loaves and a few small fish. They had lost sight completely of who it was they were following and serving. Listen. Ministry is about seeing the greatness of God's power to accomplish his purposes. And once again, these poor disciples, they missed it. Too busy looking at what they they thought they had to do. Too busy looking at what the human capabilities were. They failed to realize that everything they needed to feed all those people was standing right in front of them, talking to them. Ministry is about seeing the greatness of God's power to accomplish his purposes. Listen, Casey Bible Church was planted by God in this little community called Brentwood Park. He's called us to believe that he is and he rewards those who seek him. He's called us to be faithful to his word. He's called us and commanded us to love him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. He's commanded us to love our brothers and our sisters in Christ. He's commanded us to love our neighbors and love our enemies. Listen, God is doing the work of building Casey Bible Church, and he's invited us to join in that work. i got a verse I often think about when I think about Casey Bible Church and building it and growing Casey. And I don't mean growing by filling up all these chairs with people. I mean growing in the spiritual depth in each one of us. There's a verse in the Psalms that says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. What's that mean? We can run around like mad chickens with heads cut off and singing songs and preaching gospel and handing out tracts and doing all that stuff unless we seek for what God is doing and look for Him to provide the blessing and Him to do the work in us. We're just running around burning rubber off the bottom of our shoes. He was saying to them, we need to feed these people. And they're like, where are we going to get enough bread? There's nowhere we can buy any. We don't have any flour. We can't bake it. You know, and all they're thinking about is human capabilities and human reasoning. And then Jesus cuts the chase. How many loaves do you have? (laughs) Poor disciples. Seven. Here they are. You know. 
And Jesus knows exactly how many loaves he has. He knows what he can do with them. What possible good? They were thinking, can seven small loaves of bread, a few fish do to feed and satisfy so many people? But that's the point. Jesus takes the impossibly small offering and he uses it. Notice what Jesus does. First, he gets them all to sit down on the grass, and then he gives thanks. They could all see what he was doing. The Bible says he had a few small fish, and I wonder what the fish word is, and it's literally the word we get. Who here knows what a Thai salmon is? My son should know. You know what a Thai salmon is? No. A Thai salmon, you catch them off the west coast of uh, Vancouver Island, or I should say the east coast. No, the west coast of Vancouver Island. And uh, they're, they're salmon. They're not little salmon. They're about 16 or 17 kilos, monster things. You get a steak like that off them. That's not what Jesus had. The word for fish in this, the verse here, we get the word uh, sardine from it. He had a few small fish, like literally tiny little sardine fish. That's all he had. And he has everybody sitting down in front of him. They're all looking at Jesus. And he has seven loaves. And he lifts up his eyes. And he gives thanks to God. And he's showing them this is where the gift came from. It came from God. And he gives thanks to it. And he stops and he takes the bread. And he begins to break it and hand it out and pass it to the people. But the point I want to get you across to you is this. God's means of ministry is the gifts he gives to us. Where did those bread come from? Where did those little sardines come from? Well, all that was given to them to use, it came from God himself. And Jesus involves them in the work he is doing to provide and feed for his sheep. And here's the point. In God's hands, whatever we offer will be of great use to him. It's not about the size of the gift we bring. It's the heart with which we bring the gift. It's not merely about money. Okay? In our world, we often drive over to that point. It's about money. Not just about that. We think in our modern society, basically a financially functioning society, everything's about money. So it's about that, but it's also about our gifts and our abilities. It's about our talents. It's about our time. It's the glory of God to take seven little loaves of bread and a few small fish and feed 4,000 people with them. It's the glory of God that he graciously uses us to do his work. He doesn't need us. I keep reminding myself that God doesn't need us to do his work, but he graciously uses us. Like that master stonemason, he didn't need a little boy's help. He could have easily cut all those stones by himself, but he delighted to take that little boy and show him what it was, a joy to work together and build and cut that stone and make that building wall stone by stone by stone. God doesn't need us, but he graciously uses us. Jesus graciously went to the disciples and said, how many fish do you have? Give me what you have and I will graciously provide. You know what the cool thing was? The flip side of the story? I could see the disciples, right? sitting there with seven loaves and there's 12 of them and they're trying to think okay so how do we do this so that everybody gets you know an even share so if we break every load in half that gives us uh, 14 halves that means that somebody gets two halves or we have to do something with other piece or whatever they can all just fight about how this little piece of bread are all broken up between the 12 of them at the end of the day what happens they, they picked up all the remnants and the bible says there were seven large baskets full of pieces And God abundantly repaid their gift far more than they can imagine that they start off the day with just a couple little loaves. 
And the point is this. It's the glory of God that he entrusts into our hands the time, the money, the talents, everything that we have that we might return it again to him to use for his glory. It doesn't matter. Look, if I'm singing over there on Sunday morning, you know we're, we're, we're stretching for singers because I don't have the greatest singing voice in the world. i got to have Tiff singing right beside me with her monitor way up so I stay on tune. But you know what? It's not about my voice. Well, Tiff might say differently, but uh, it's not about that. It's about the heart that brings the gift. It's not about how well you can preach. It's about how much you love the Lord and you want to feed the sheep. It's not about how well you can teach Sunday school or lead music or do any of those other things. And there's thousands of things in the church that need doing that require people to put forward what they have. It's not about how small you think your bit is. It's about the heart with which you give it and a desire to see God take what you give and graciously take it and expand it and use it for his glory. I'll tell you a story. I heard this years ago. Um, in Canada when I was probably at Sutherland Bible Chapel, which is back when I was probably 14 years of age. Missionary came over, and he was with HCJB. Do you guys remember that? HCJB radio? Yeah, they, were, they would go to countries that had like an illegal, um, no Christians allowed in their country, and they put radio towers right on the borders of those countries, and they would beam gospel messages across into those countries so the gospel could be heard. I think at this point it was a communist country. Anyway, Missionary came, and he, he was telling us this story at this church, and he said that uh, a little fellow came up to him after a service he'd been out, and he said, I want to help the mission work. And he looked down at the little boy, and he said, well, okay. He said, I've got all my monies here, in a little fist. He put out his fist, and he had a dollar and 40 cents or something like that in, his, in the missionary's hand. And the missionary was like, you know, praise the Lord, there's a dollar and 40 cents. And the little boy went away sort of tickled pink that he'd been able to help the ministry, you know. And the missionary thought, what am I going to do with a dollar and 40 cents? Well, back in those days, a tape cassette, you know, those old, you know, old, old, before CDs, after LP records, they had these tape cassettes, right? And he realized that you could buy a tape cassette for, you never guess, a dollar 40. So he went back to the place, and they, they got a letter from a man in one of the communist countries. He said, I've been listening to your radio broadcast. Is there anything you can send me to tell me more about how to know Jesus? And so the man took one tape with a gospel message, put it in an envelope, mailed it to him, got over to him. And they got a few months later, they got a letter back saying, thank you very much for the gospel message on the tape. I listened to it, and now I too believe in Jesus and follow him all the days of my life. And the missionary went back and he wrote a little letter back to the little boy and said, did you know that $1.40 resulted in one soul coming to know the Lord Jesus for all of eternity? And you think, what's my gift worth? What's my talent I don't have anything. I feel sort of useless. I feel sort of awkward. There are so many people that can do it better than I can. It's not about the size of the gift. It's not about the seven little loaves. It's about the seven loaves in the master's hand, in the king of kings' hand, that can take them and with a prayer and with his breaking them and hanging them out, it can feed 4,000 people, not just one loaf each, but enough that every single one of them was satisfied. Never, ever forget that God does not need us for anything, but God graciously and kindly uses us. He takes the little things that we can offer him, and he uses them for his glory. Third point is this. Jesus' method for ministry is working through us. Notice in verses 6 and 7, 
He says he directed the people to sit down on the ground and taking seven loaves, he gave thanks and he broke them. And he started giving them to his disciples to serve to them and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish and we know what we did with those in verse 8. They all ate and they were satisfied and they picked up seven large baskets and so on. Notice the way in which Jesus ministers. He takes the bread from the disciples, which he had already graciously provided for them. He offers thanks to God for the bread. He breaks the bread and he distributes it to the bread. Not Jesus to the people, Jesus to the disciples to the people. And once again, Jesus is involving them and engaging them in the work that he is doing. He is giving them the bread to distribute and share. Jesus uses disciples to minister life-sustaining bread to the crowds. Now, I don't like allegorizing, okay? You can get in some dangerous water with this. But I want to just say, Jesus in the book of John calls himself the bread of life, right? And so we just take this little bit of allegory and put it on the story for a second. Jesus is using us to distribute the bread of life, the story and the message of Christ to all the people of the world. Jesus gave to the disciples and they distributed to the crowd. Here's the point. Jesus' method for ministry then as now is working through us. We cannot minister to the people of God what that which we have not first received from God ourselves. And that's a very key point. It's more, like I'll, I'll use preaching for example, because it just, it's just easy for me to do. It's more than just taking a text and working through a homiletic process to develop an outline, a proposition, some main points, some subordinate points, and illustrations and alliterations, and all that stuff, and putting together a little Bible speech. It's so much more than that. It is first wrestling with God in prayer over the text of Scripture to know and understand what God is saying to me first, so that I can share it with you. You say, that's great. We don't all preach. How does it apply to us? Well, the reality is it doesn't matter if you're a preacher, an elder, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a mom at home with the kids, a dad at home with your family. It is exactly the same principle. It is the things that you wrestle through with God in prayer over the text that God speaks to you. Those things, you know, just an aside, sometimes I get through preparing a message, you know, and I get done and I, it's got nice alliteration, it's got nice phrasing, it's got three balance points, it's got a few illustrations, it's got, you know, and it's flat. I could get up and I could preach away, as they say in seminary, uh, weak point shout here, so you just give it all your gusto and those points that you're not so sure of and all those kind of things. And it's flat. You say, is it Bible truth? Yes. Is it, is, it, is it right? Yes. But for me, it's more than that. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. If it's not speaking to my own heart and doesn't convict me of something deeply, then it just, I really struggle to preach like that. Why the compassion issue? That really punched me in the face yesterday. When was the last time I wept over the people of God? When was the last time I wept over the lost and had a greater desire to get off my lazy rear end and go out there and preach the gospel to those people because they need to hear it? And that's what God convicted me of. It's the same thing with us. When we use, God uses us to minister the word of God in whatever form you do. 
It's got to be something that you have received from God. It's got to be something that you wrestle over the, over the word of God in prayer before God that really touches your heart. Those are the things that when you begin to minister and share in whatever format it is, that's when the message comes so much more clearly because it has meant something to you. It's something the Spirit of God has taught you and taught you. Teached you. That's good English, isn't it? It's taught you. It's first wrestling with God in prayer over the text, and then it's ministering to them. Why is it so important to me memorizing, meditating, praying over the text of Scripture? It's because that's how we receive from the Lord what we desire to live to others. When we wrestle with God over those things, and when we minister to other people, it trains them, it equips them, it encourages and reproves and corrects. Jesus' method for ministry is working through his disciples to feed the people of God the bread of life. Every disciple... Listen, every single believer in a church has a role, a ministry role to fulfill. Sunday school teachers or Bible study leaders or men at home, whatever it is. Don't ever think for a second that your work and your role in this church is unnecessary or superfluous. It's not. The reality is that God has taken every single one of us and put us here in Casey Bible Church and we all have a role to fulfill. We all have a ministry to discharge. Just like the priests in the Old Testament, every single one of them had something they needed to be doing, whether it was cutting the meat or carrying the blood or or carrying out the carcass or building the fire or whatever it was, singing the songs. The high priest had his role. Every single priest in the church, the priest of all believers, has a role to fulfill. It's a ministry function in which we share and expand and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We spread biblical truth to encourage and build up and strengthen our believers. I need you. You need each other. We all need each other. And God is using each of us to build the other one up. Moving on. Finally, Jesus sends them away to their home satisfied. The bread of life that we receive from God and minister to the people of God, to each other, is an altogether satisfying bread. It is Christ, the life-giving, life-sustaining, life-satisfying bread. The crowd that came from afar, they were fed and they were satisfied. The disciples who contributed to God's work were abundantly satisfied. They had seven large baskets to distribute among themselves and enjoy the feast after distributing to the people. The crowd came from afar. They remained for three days. Matthew records he was healing their sicknesses. Most commentators assume he was teaching them the word of God. Jesus also, out of compassion, feeds the people. The picture and the lessons that we draw is in feeding the lost, the people of God, the spiritual food of God, and the motive we must have is Christ's first, his compassion. The means we use, the gifts that God has given us, and the method we use is his working through us. And the result is that we will see that all who come to him looking to be fed will go away satisfied and blessed. Does that make sense? Listen, when we did the, uh, the Kids Alive program about a year and a half ago, um, you guys came out, and we all had lunch up at the park up there, and we went out, and we, we hand out flyers. I think it was about November, and I think it was really hot, if I remember correctly, the day. And we handed out about, I think it was about 1,300 flyers in that day, if I remember numbers and me remember correctly. Yeah, I did the math, and I figured out there's about four to five, maybe 6,000 people living in the area all around this place. And the reality is that those people desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And you know what? God's put us here. God's left us here with a role to fulfill, to take that gospel out and share it with them. We need to have the compassion that when we see them, we realize they're going to hell. And God has, you say, well, God hasn't given us enough of this, and God hasn't given us enough of that, and God hasn't given enough of other things that we need to do the work that's here to do. Guess what? The disciples pulled out seven loaves. This is all we've got, seven loaves. And in the hands of Jesus, it was enough to reach this community, that community, with the gospel. The question is, do we have the heart of compassion? Are we willing to use what God has done? Are we willing to wrestle with God in prayer over the text of Scripture that we might feed and build up and encourage and preach the gospel to this area around us? God's given us everything we need. Every single last thing. The only question remains is, what are we doing about it? And folks, I'll be honest. Not that I'm dishonest the rest of the time, but I'll be honest. It's really burdened my heart. We've been here for four plus years now, and we've barely touched this community out there with the gospel. It's something we need to really think about and pray about and weep before the Lord over. How are we reaching this community with the gospel? What can we do? We have what God's given us, and that's enough. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing one more song before we close for the day. Father in heaven, this morning we come before you, and we would bow in your presence. And Father, thinking back to the verse that Richard read at the very beginning, and some of us, Father, are saying, it's not time to build the house of the Lord. And the response, your response through Haggai was, consider your ways. Father, we know what we have been given. We have been given everything sufficient and everything necessary to do the work that's before us. Father, you have provided us with abundant gifts, time and talent and money, and abilities. Father, we have what is necessary through you. Father, it may be small in our own eyes. We know what you can do with it. We look at a story like that. Father God, I plead with you this morning that you would work in each of our hearts to break the stubborn hard-heartedness that is settled in. That, Father, we would see the lost in this community and we would be brokenhearted and we would weep. Father, cause us to weep. To have a compassion for the lost. Father, cause us all to be men and women who are in the word of God. Wrestling with you over the scriptures, wrestling in prayer to understand and to know. Father, we plead with you that you would speak to us and teach us your word. That we might take your word and distribute it to others. Father, thank you for this little church. Father, we thank you again for the reminder that even though there are only a few of us, we are together in the presence of the living God. And Father, we thank you for the great promise of Scripture that where two or, three get, two or three are gathered together, you are here in the midst of us. Father, teach us, challenge us, Father, encourage us. 
Father, we ask you for your blessing, and we seek your help. In Jesus' name, amen.